and on front page with me this morning, Melissa Idris, editor at Awani and at the Wong Sai Wan, editor-in-chief at the Malay Mail. Good morning, guys. Good, Good morning, morning, Jess. Good morning. Okay, now the first headline, Najib says asset declaration for opposition MPs unfair. The Pakan Member of Parliament argued that some assets did not come from their allowance as parliamentarians. Um, and he says, you know, we're not part of the executive body. We have other sources of income, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, he mentioned the party line. Um, there could be other concerns such as security risks. So why does uh, Datuk Sri Najib believe that declaring assets is unfair? Is this a bit cheeky? Oh, well, of course it is. <laughs> of <laughs> course too. it is. I think so too. I mean, look, look it, it, as Najib is playing the role of the opposition. He's going to object for the sake of objecting. But in the end, his party voted for it. Mm-hmm. They didn't say no. I'm okay. They didn't vote for it. They didn't say no. Yeah, they, they did, there was no dissenting view. Yeah. I, I do have to say, though, I'm with Shaz here. That it was really cheeky. I mean, a bit rich coming from him, right? Yes. Especially as it comes just, I think, a day after it was reported that he owes 1.7 billion ringgit to the taxman in additional tax assessments. Mm-hmm. So for him to say, well, you know, asset declarations can make it, um, uh, can be a safety risk for MPs. Well, what about your tax assessment? <laughs> no, I would, I would like to know how he's going to pay for the taxes. After all, all his accounts are frozen. Yes. 1.7 billion ringgit yeah. additional taxes. I think IRB is aware of that though, right? <laughs> no, but, no, but seriously, Asset declaration by all MPs is, I think, a bit of overkill. Mm-hmm. Overkill? Yeah. Why is that why one? Because uh, are you saying that all MPs, opposition and government, are able to profit from their position? Well, you know, p- people in positions of power have access to that. So Not when, when you're an opposition MP. Okay. Okay. Uh, I know for a fact that every single MP have to find other source of income right. to play politics. Uh, whatever allowances are given is hardly enough to even run an office. Okay, so in the interest of transparency, you don't think it's that? I know, I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a big deal. All right. Uh, which is why they didn't really object because this time round... Uh, they're the opposition. They're the opposition. They don't make noise about it. They object for the sake of objecting, but they know that... It's not going to make any difference to them at all. I respectfully disagree, <laughs> Saiwan. I think that this is a step in the right direction for accountability and transparency. And I think that we have to get used to this mindset of, you know, holding people in public office accountable for their finances. No, but you see, the thing is, this is politics. Why couldn't you do it last session? Mm-hmm. Why can't you do it the next session? Why do you bring up this time? Because this time around, uh, there's a bit... Not that many government business. So you have to put something in. Well, don't you... Th- no, no, no. Look, it is politics. Uh, to those guys in the opposition, they have no other source of income yes. now. Uh, whatever source of income they have would be official. And for them, it's a big funny ha-ha-ha. Uh, you're actually catching your own people. Well, PAS is adamant against, you know, showing any kind of uh, transparency with this. Well, they have actually backtracked and said that they're okay with it. But, you know, for mm. me, I think, Taiwan, at the end of the day, as I'm just looking at my role as a journalist, as part of the media, that this is our chance to say, you know, no more, no longer on our watch can any kind of financial malfeasance happen again. Nonsense. <laughs> it will It will occur. It, it has occurred in more transparent country than ours. Right. Well, something to kind of follow up on, I'm sure. Um, Next headline, U.S.-China trade war could reunite anytime as ceasefire is a calm in the middle of a storm. This is according to economists and strategists. We'll look at that headline next here on Light.
on front page with me this morning, Dr. Wong Sai Wan, editor-in-chief of the Malay Mail, and also Melissa Idris, editor at Awani. Despite the G20 truce, resolution of trade tensions could be painful for both the U.S. and China. Trade war is far from over, according to Bank of America. Merrill Lynch, in fact, they say there is a potential risk for another round of tariffs being added before any deal is reached. How does this affect Malaysia now that Trump is aiming and looking at other countries as well? Saiwan? Well, Trump is looking to look great. <laughs> After uh, that photo op in North Korea? Yeah. And he wants to look even greater. He's got to aim somewhere. That is the basis of Trump's presidency. He must have bogeymen. He must continue to find enemies. I think the smaller nations better watch out. I think once he's done with China, he will aim at his other trade trading partners. He's doing it to the European Union, to China. He's done it to Russia. I am expecting him to come and aim at Southeast Asia. Well, you know, the real winners of the trade war have been um, Vietnam and Bangladesh, especially for the kind of cheap consumer goods and South Korea and Taiwan to an extent, especially for kind of the high tech uh, electronic products. But to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure where Malaysia is positioned in this because, you know, a lot of analysts are saying that, well, Malaysia is likely to benefit, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the E&E sector. So there's a bit of, you know, I guess, a positive upswing from the trade I think that that will be temporary. I agree. Uh, What I'm saying is that we better watch out once China and US come to it actual agreement. Yes, oh, do you think get along and play nice? Do you yes. think that's going to happen anytime oh, oh, soon? Oh, I, I, think, I think the script writers for Trump <laughs> will adjust it because as he, as he gets closer to election time mm. in the US, he will be more friendly to China. That's you, obvious. You mean he won't ramp up the nationalist rhetoric? No, no. He will look for someone else to go and do it. Another bogeyman. Another bogeyman. Not China. You know, to be completely honest with you, Shaz, one thing that really struck me is it's been a year since this trade war has started. Mm. We've been talking about this for 12 months. And and you know what? Markets have just gotten used to this as the new normal, the volatility brought about by this start-stop negotiation. Well, it's all interesting. I mean, and right now, you know, uh, as we speak, uh, fireworks are going off uh, over Washington, D.C., and it's a great (laughs) military spectacle. Fourth of July, that's right. Okay, I'd like to remind uh, to tell you guys, this morning, (laughs) I woke up to an alarm that, a 6.0 earthquake just took place yes. in oh, California. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. look, it was on the San Andreas fault. Yeah, you oh. know, California is one of the biggest, uh, one of a, a really big economy, one of the biggest economies in the world. If you look at the the play of um, the U.S.-China trade war, right, this is 36 percent of the global trade. If these two giants are fighting. What's going to happen to the tinier nations like the rest of us? I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to get trampled on we will if, definitely. if global trade slows down. So this is, you know, whatever uptick we have from the from benefiting from the trade war, it's going to be a temporary effect. All right. Now, the next headline we're taking a look at um, is about Theresa Koch. Criticisms of anti-palm oil play not meant to stifle freedom, she says. Well, we'll discuss that next here on Light. On front page with me this morning, Melissa Idris, editor at Awani, Dr. Wong Saiwan as well, editor-in-chief at the Malay Mail. Now, Teresa Cox has been in the news lately. She says her criticism of an international school for putting up a play on palm oil plantations was not an attempt to stifle freedom of expressions. In fact, they have invited, um, you know, various members of the school to come and listen to their talk at their ministry. So, you know, this is interesting. I mean, we all should encourage children to think independently. Where does she want to go with this? 
Hmm. Well, okay. So we're going to call it the Teresa Cock incident from now on. And right. I, I have to say, to, to be fair, she has come out to clarify that it really wasn't to quash uh, freedom of expression. She had her reasons for issuing such a uh, strongly worded, uh, I guess, reprimand. I would, I would call it reprimand to the school. But, you know, for me, Shaz, it's really about, it's, it's not about palm oil. It's about the way a minister or a leader governs. It's about the tone of the Pakatan Harapan messaging. Mm-hmm. It was a really heavy-handed response mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. what I thought was a really disproportionate, you know, kind of bringing out the heavy guns for yeah. to a children's play. Exactly. And now the Ministry of Education wants to investigate and it's just a bit much. I, I, think, I think that's where the heavy-handedness was. It's typical government of Malaysia reaction the civil servant comes in with a big hammer and wants to hammer somebody. I think if it was left alone, let Teresa criticise. If the school wanted to reply, reply. That would have been quite okay. It was the follow-up from the education ministry that got many people shocked. Well, I didn't think it needed to be made public in that sense, you know, to have that kind of black and white. No, but the thing is this. If you know Teresa Kok, she is very passionate. She is. Okay. Mm. I don't agree with her all the time, but I admire her for her passion on anything she does. Many people in the palm oil industry will tell you, at the start, Teresa Kok knew nothing about com- commodities. Right. Okay. They took it upon themselves to educate her. They didn't like going meeting with her because they have to explain everything from Scratch, the start. Yeah. Okay. But she has taken it on. She has traveled very widely. And uh, she's been very frustrated because people who she thought were her international alliances in uh, Europe has now turned around and called her all sorts of names. Mm. You know, or her product all sorts of names. Well, to, to be fair, okay, I agree with you in that respect. She's very passionate. She's learned a lot. It was a steep learning curve mm. in the first few months in office, right? But I also agree with you when you say this is a throwback to the way we've been doing things in Malaysia Lama. This kind of authoritarian... Um, you know, steeped in conspiracy mindset, knee-jerk reaction is very Malaysia Lama and that's not what we want to see yeah. in this no, current but th- day that's, what, that's what I'm saying. If, if it was left to a quarrel between Teresa Kok and the school, yeah. I think this present reaction we have will not be so bad. It was when the education ministry waded in. Right. Uh, okay, so what's happening now with this whole, you know, incident, this case? Okay, uh, uh, another background to this yeah. is that um, Teresa Kok has made it known that her oil palm council has actually approached this particular school and says, we want to come and talk to you guys earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before this. And the school declined it. Yes, yeah, so that was revealed, right? That there yeah. was some kind of a, a roadblock there. Yeah. I have to say, though, I mean, the way forward is persuasion and engagement. That mm. is the way forward. All right, well, coming up, we all saw the viral video of the father who crashed the Pase Gudang meeting. We want to know what is happening still uh, or not happening in Pase Gudang. Let's up next here on Light. And on front page, with me this morning is Dato Wong Sai Wan from the Malay Mail and um, from Astro Awani, Melissa Idris. Okay, let's take a look at Pase Gudang. We saw Idham Wazir Abdul Wahab, a father of five, upset, claiming the government hasn't made any progress since the first chemical pollution case in March. Uh, his frustration, of course, uh, reached a boiling point at the meeting. Um, it was uh, one of those town hall meetings. He says his son has been affected seriously. Now, I'm 
just curious, why is it taking so long for the authorities to do anything concrete in Pasigudang? Well, I'm with you, Shaz. And you know what? At the end of the day, I've got more questions than I have answers. I've got questions like, why is this happening again when it happened three months ago? How can it have happened again? What's being done right now? What Mm -hmm. was done previously that wasn't enough that it happened again? And I'm also wondering... Who's covering the costs for, you know, medical, for loss of income? Because apparently this father had quit his engineering job to take care of his son who was sick the first time around. Yeah. Okay, I think this is a question quite closely tied to our palm oil discussion just now. Really? Yep, because I think the question that needs to be asked is were the schools there first or were the factories there first? There's no right or wrong answer in this. Right. And Do you happen to know the answer? They came up at the same time. Oh, okay. right. So, Pasigudang started off as a light industry estate. Then it became a engineering estate. And now, it is a manufacturing base. One of the biggest in the country. And it deals with chemical. Now, my question to ask is this. Why do we allow so many schools to be so near factories? It's wrong. Mm-hmm. So is that is this just a question of urban planning that that was you know the lack of urban planning the lack of urban planning yeah. right so you know okay I would turn around and ask the parents now okay what if we relocate the schools five miles out six miles out would the parents be happy because it's sure it's going to be cheaper to relocate the schools than to relocate the factories well yeah. the the question really is I mean is it safe to live there still you know and and the lack it's of obviously information not. coming mm-hmm. out from credible channels has mm-hmm. been frustrating well didn't the deputy prime minister send everyone back to school saying that yeah it's fine no, mm-hmm. no th- okay. that, that's, that, that's not the point the point is yeah. the first time they knew there was dumping yes okay now they can't even tell us how did the second time occur? Mm-hmm. They don't even know what it is. They, they said that in the air was this chemical, that chemical. Right. Yeah. You know, but I mean, actually, if you tell all of us, okay, it was this particular naughty factory that's the cause of it. I think all of us would, would just say, okay, we accept it. There's no answers. You know, I I completely understand the frustration and the distress and the confusion that the father kind of exhibited at the town hall because there is a lack of information. And when there is a a vacuum of information, what fills that space is speculation and rumour and misinformation. And that's why we're seeing on WhatsApp all these messages being forwarded Mm -hmm, along mm -hmm. because my, my opinion, I think, is that the government should treat this as... The, the way they treat national incidents, right? Yes. So have daily briefings, give credible channels of information so people feel like they know where to go to for information about something that's impacting their lives. Yeah. And it's it's a national and this incident. at this point is not happening, yeah? Yeah, it's All not. right, well, I hope someone's listening. Well, coming up, uh, PKR Sex uh, Hazik with Immediate Effect. We'll be taking a look at that headline next here on Light. On front page with me this morning is Dr. Wong Saiwan, Editor-in-Chief at the Malay Mail. Also, Melissa Idris, uh, Editor at Astro Awani. Now, PKR have sacked Hazik Abdullah Abdul Aziz uh, with immediate effect. He's the man embroiled in the recent um, viral video, which also allegedly involved Economic Affairs Minister Dr. Sri Azmin Ali. What do you personally think about uh, Hazik getting sacked? Well, I mean, was his sacking inevitable? I I don't know. I don't have the answer to Mm -hmm. that. But what I thought was particularly interesting, guys, was the fact that 
in sacking Hazik, PKR was very careful, extremely careful in the wording of the reasons why they wanted, they gave him his marching orders. I mean, they said that um, Hazik accused, without evidence, mm-hmm. party leadership of corruption. I mean, there was no mention of any videos of any kind. So they were very careful to say it was that accusation of corruption that uh, was the reason why he got sacked. I, I mean, I have no knowledge of, of this, but I would presume that the disciplinary committee before sacking Hazik would have considered all the consequences of the action. Because until now, it is an internal party matter. Mm. Once they sack him, he is no longer bound by the party. Right, so he can come out and say anything. Will he join AMNO? Well, I mean, that's always a possibility mm. in Malaysian mm. politics, right? Yeah. Anything is possible. <laughs> you know, uh, pre- I, think, I think what really cooked him was not the viral videos, was the exclusive interviews he was giving selectively. Uh, he, he went to certain people, yeah. gave selective stories, selective angles, uh, replying to the Prime Minister selectively. I think uh, it is... This thing is not over yet. It's not over yet. Uh, it's not over yet. But I think what, what, what PKR has done is basically to wash the hands of him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a really interesting point, um, mm-hmm. Saiwan, because I wonder whether Hazik is more damaging as a free agent as opposed to being part of the party governed by party. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that yet. I'm very sure that was a consideration before the district committee decided and it was put forward to the polit- political uh, bureau and the political bureau agreed with the district committee. Well, for me, really, this um, the, the sacking of Hazik really just is another yet another red flag in the kind of deepening factionalism within PKR. So as an outside observer, all I'm seeing is that this is a party that needs to get its house in order. Right. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, how big a role does loyalty play when it comes to, you know, these things? Cause, in Malaysia Baru? Yes, in Malaysia Baru especially. It's not necessary. <laughs> yeah. So loyalty is totally unnecessary in optional. Malaysia Baru. In Malaysia Lama? In, in Malaysia Lama uh, Only after election <laughs> <laughs> oh, before, oh, no, no, no. before elections no, no. Up to until election ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In in Malaysia Baru You don't need loyalty Because you're supposed to be able to do anything you want But really uh, Saiwan What is loyalty in real politics? It's all about you know political considerations What can further you along To your own agenda right? That sounds like corruption, doesn't it? It does. All right. Well, we'll leave you on that note, folks. Um, uh, thank you so much, Melissa and Saiwan, for joining me this morning on Front Page. Thanks, Jess. Thank you.